Sci-Fi for Me presents Jason Hunt and Timothy Harvey. This is the H2O Podcast. Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Timothy Harvey. And I am Jason Hunt. And this is the H2O podcast, unless you're watching it on YouTube, in which case it is the H2O YouTube, or if well, you're... still the H2O podcast. Yeah, you're watching it live. Or you're watching it recorded, but it is actually, uh, we uh, began as a podcast, or you're watching a podcast, um, and welcome to the show. We're going to talk about the situation with Collider, although... I'm not entirely sure. We are not going to have any answers. Right. There's just no... Although uh, there's certainly a discussion to be had there. I do want to lead off with our sympathy for uh, the family and friends of the actress and model Julie Strain, who passed away yesterday at the very too young age of 57. 57. During Uh, her 20s, she was thrown from a horse mm -hmm. and... Uh, it caused complications and injuries that resulted in retrograde amnesia. Retrograde amnesia, some uh, uh, dementia, early onset dementia, and uh, she had, I guess, her boyfriend named Dave. We don't know anything else about what. Who right, this she was, was married to Kevin Eastman of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and heavy metal a fame for uh, a decade, about a decade. Um, and yeah, I don't know much about David. Um, certainly he's been very, apparently very, very supportive as she's been struggling with the last couple of years of this. Yeah. And he's been posting on her Facebook page, Mm -hmm. uh, various updates on her health over the, the last couple of years. And, and he would read notes of encouragement to her and she would respond. He said that she was doing fairly well and then apparently just took a turn for the worse. Right, which is something that unfortunately happens um, with with the kind of uh, brain injury that she had, this sort of thing can happen and certainly if you've ever lost a loved one to um, dementia or or, or early onset Alzheimer's, a lot of times they they will pass away a lot earlier than they normally would have. Yeah. Um, and so, again, our sympathies. Um, if you're not familiar with who she is, she was the cover model for heavy metal a lot of times. Uh, she was the she was a model for a lot of very iconic artists of the 20th century. She also, if you look at the sequel of Heavy Metal, the, the second movie, right. she was, Fact 2, right. I think, she was the lead... The the lead character was modeled after her. Right, and there was also a... Uh, the, that particular film wasn't that successful, but the video game actually got a lot of praise, and she was the voice in that. Um, she made over 100 films. She was basically the uh, the queen of... Sc- the the, uh, the screen queens. Uh, the B... The me, actually, she was the queen of the... I think they called the queen of the B-movies. Um, but... Uh, um, very prolific output. Your mileage may vary on, on the kinds of movies she made. Uh, but but the yeah. fact of the matter is is that apparently she was extremely uh, well liked by the people that she worked with. Uh, Very I saw nice. Very I nice saw that you 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 actually had worked with her once. I did. I uh, I had 
one day on set for a movie called Lethal Betrayal, which was made by my college professor, Fred Watkins, uh, Robert Mitchum's son, Chris, mm. was the star. And I, I, I think that was the one. Uh, yeah, I think that was, uh, that was it. Um, uh, Martin Sheen's brother, Joe Estevez, was in right, it. Yeah. And Julie was in it. And the one day I was on set, before I moved up here, actually, it was one of those, yeah, I'm going to work on the movie, and oh, by the way, I'm leaving, and yeah. that kind of thing. And uh, it, there was a scene, uh, it was a seduction scene, of course, because, you know, it's Julie. And I remember when we broke for lunch, everybody is sitting around in the living room having having sandwiches. You know, it's low-budget movie, right? Sure. And... Julie's there right in the middle of everybody and you know she's not very she's not standoffish at all she's talking and yucking it up and, and of course she's in her underwear of course yeah. because it's that movie it's that kind of movie <laughs> um now it it was a detective movie but it's an R-rated movie sure. and it's you know it's one of those where there's going to be some stuff and things right, and yeah. Fred likes to make those kind of movies because they sell okay. at, no, that, no at that time they, they made money um, but she's very nice mm -hmm. uh, as far as everybody on set she never she was never that I saw was never difficult with anyone never never you know uppity or yeah. anything like that so yeah I, I heard I, I heard the news today um, from social media like a lot of other people um, I heard it from Debbie Rashan um, who um, for some reason, follows me on. I, I worked with her on a film nine years ago. Now she came into town for to, and to Kansas City and, and shot for a couple of days on a um, a. Tr it was a trailer to sell a project from Mark to, to, to fundraising her mm -hmm. project, and she very kindly came in and worked on that. And, and I, I actually wrote uh, helped write the the script for the feature, and. Um, for some reason, she still follows me. We met like once years ago. Super nice lady, really, really fantastic lady. She really, you know, like a lot of like a lot of folks uh, who have c carry the label screen queen um, in the horror genre. They're huge for interacting with the fans, and they love that kind of interaction. So when I saw that, and and she posted a picture of her with with Julie, and just I mean it was a very short thing but having met her at least long enough to get a sense of the person and interact in the limited way that I have in the years since mm -hmm. uh, very limited way um, she it was it, she was obviously hurting and so obviously this is a very painful day for a lot of people uh, and so again uh, our sympathies and and it's it's a <clears throat> like I was telling Jason before we started recording um, the you know uh, the kind of films she made were were very much the sort of um, you know beautiful women running around in, in very little or nothing, um, and uh, the name of her bio, by the way, her autobiography was Six Foot One and Worth the Climb, which yeah. is a great title. Extremely tall yeah. woman, yeah, and all leg. Yeah. I mean, it was. You know, you but know. I mean, just yeah, you know, um, she was one of those people. I mean, she had a she had a wonder, a beautiful, beautiful smile, yeah. um, and just seemed very, very. Uh, happy and appreciative to to get to play in the things that she obviously enjoyed, which is something that if you get to do, and it's it, for all I've, everything that I've seen, just looking at stuff today, um, she really just enjoyed 
doing, you know, having the life that she had and, and getting to be able to, she was a big, she was a big hit at conventions. She would show up and, and fans would just love to talk to her and see her. And, and so, um, uh, and like I said, I, I told Jason, uh, she's, she stars in the best version of the Blair Witch Project I've ever seen. And it's, <laughs> it's a, not a good movie, but I don't like the Blair Witch Project, but, um, it's very, she made some very funny films. She made some very funny films. Um, for all that a lot of them were the, you know, uh, you know, male gaze, definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely. But, but, well, but and, a lot and, of them were very, very funny. Well, and like you, you mentioned last week, the, the line between comedy and horror oh, yeah. is very thin in Which terms is what, of yeah. technique. So. A, lot of, a lot of the film, there's like, she had a, a fairly big chunk of her her catalog is uh, where were things that were sort of parodies of mm -hmm. other genres and um, production value on some of those films rivaled <laughs> the asylum so I'm not sure that they you know if you if you happen to be a fan of hers from those films um, I don't blame you. Was she in any of the Slumber Party Massacre? You know films? I don't think she was. Um, I know that I know I know Brank Stevens was in a few of those. Yeah, yeah. I don't oh, remember if Julie was or not. You I think at, she was in one. But I don't remember. If you go back, some of the some of the really really and there's a reason why these people end up being scream queens or queen of the B movies in her case, um, is that you know you you whatever the quality of the finished. Product. So many of these films are just—they were clearly so much fun to make. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's some there's some classic horror films from the '80s and '90s that are not good movies, it's, but they're so much fun. It's Joe Bob Briggs stuff. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's the the drive-in theater on the Friday night exploitation films. The stuff like Tarantino likes to make, only not as violent and intense and yeah and i think derivative. that there, there's something that you know there's a and certainly science fiction fans and fantasy fans know this there's that 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 viewpoint that you can sometimes get where you know it's not it's not real literature or it's not or it's not real cinema i mean you can there's all that you know there's there's these there's these ideas of this this somebody says things like that and maybe they believe it or maybe they're just being unpleasant um, and you can argue the you can you can argue the pros and cons of that kind of statement, mm -hmm. but the thing you have to bear in mind is that um, everybody who works on this stuff, actors, you know, the all these B movies and and all these things, whether you like them or not, um, they they have fans, and the people who work on them are committed to making something that they're gonna enjoy, yeah. if not be proud of. They're maybe, And some of them are going to be extremely proud of it. So the fact that she had the career that she had, that she had the, was able to, to work as much as she did uh, and, and clearly enjoy it, and that there are so many people who enjoyed working with her, is frankly, if we can pull that off, if I can pull that off, I'll take it. I'll be happy. Um, and uh, again, like I said, it's a, it's a sad day for, for her fans and for, for the people who care about her. Uh, and so I'm very, very sorry to hear that. Uh, 57 is too young. Yes. Yes, because it's right around the corner for us. Well, there's that, too. Yeah. Sad, uh, sad goings-on for fans of Collider as well. Yes. Not to, not to put too heavy of a segue in there, but... Yes, because Collider is, Collider is still around, whether you are happy about what it is or not. <laughs> so... For those of you who are not aware, the the 
Collider.com is part of this overall media group that's owned by a company called Complex. And before that, the video side of things was owned by AMC. Right. If I'm remembering this right, John Campia, who's got his own channel now, mm-hmm. had built this thing, AMC Movie Talk and a couple of other things, Jedi Council. I, I don't know if Jedi Council is that old or not. Um, but Complex bought Collider from Stephen Weintraub and brought John and Movie Talk and all these things in. And it's been a very successful segment of the site for a number of years. Now, in the last few years, it's gone down a little bit in performance. John left the site in, I want to say, 2013. And then Christian Harloff was the other big name there, and he left to go on his own. And then John Schnepp. Mm-hmm. And John came back actually for a little bit. Did he? Yeah, he came back. I think it was a brief period that he came back for a while, but it wasn't a. <clears throat> and then when when uh, when John Schnepp died, that sort of became that was the, the end. That was that the was end, the end for, of that was for John videos. Campion. So, January second, they post on their website this entry where they're announcing. Many can we show that? Um, their their posts this entry on their website where basically they're announcing the new direction for Collider Video, in which all of the shows that anybody was there to watch are now gone. Mm-hmm. Movie Talk, Jedi Council, Rula Two, uh, Collider Heroes, all of the shows that have a following that have an audience, and the direction that they're following is they're pivoting to a more celebrity-oriented perspective. And the shows like For Your Consideration and Deep Fake Theater or something like that. And there are a number of people that are not too happy with this announcement. Sure. That frustration and anger was compounded when people found out on that same day that the talent for these shows, the hosts for these shows, some of the producers, had been told of this decision only a couple of hours before everybody in the world found out. Mm -hmm. And the blowback has been... Oh, not only that, but... Fierce. Not not only that, but their their jobs were gone. Yeah. It was not that they were being moved to do something else, that they they had actually been let go. Right. Fired. Now... John Campia came out, did a video, and said, I get it. It's a business decision. I don't quite I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand the reasoning behind it. Because Mark Fernandez, apparently, and he's described himself this way, he's really big into the next tech thing. Sure. Innovations in technology. And deep fake is the next thing, apparently. Okay. We'll talk about that in a minute because I have opinions. Um, I know, I know, right? Um, so Campia was very businesslike. It, it for a lot of people expected him to really just lash out, and yeah. and, and with, to some to some degree, that was a re- where I want to use the word reasonable assumption, but it would be an understandable one. Yeah, I would um, think so. And because 
it's your baby. I mean, yeah, and, it's, and, and it's, he you helped. built this thing, and now suddenly somebody else is saying, right. but he also, it's ugly, I'm going to cut its arms off. But he also, he does understand, <coughs> he made it very, very clear, that some, this happens, okay? Yeah. We, um, as much as we like to not necessarily think about it that way, uh, in large part, all of this is a business. And I mean, you look at you look at some of the decisions that companies have made, and if you don't like them, um, they're not doing most. I'm not going to say not always, but most of the time they're not doing it to be mean. Right. They're doing it because they got a spreadsheet somewhere that says this is the yeah. the this is the the reality of the business that we're doing and so we need to change direction to make sure that we can pay our bills, pay our investors, a lot of different things. Now, there is an argument to be made that that can be a very very short-sighted decision and that sometimes making the decisions based on what the numbers say in the long term can be a mistake. Yeah, and, and some people have made that argument here. Well, and, and in all fairness to those who are making that argument, there's some very good reasons, too. I have mentioned more than once that I used to be employed by Borders Books and Music. Borders Books and Music made some very, very poor business decisions that were based 100%, in my opinion, and I, I, I was not part of the finance department. I cannot say... I know this to be true. Right. I can say that from my observation as an employee, as a manager with the company, I was somebody who had been with the company for a decade, um, looking at the changes internally, so much of that stuff was driven by, here's what it costs for the company to buy this thing. Here's what it costs for the company to sell this thing. We make more money on selling all these other things other than books and music and video. Which is a shame. Which is a shame, because Barnes & Noble pretty much this I could I could get knifed for this Barnes and Noble and Borders were different on a cosmetic level Oh sure I can see that There were there was a lot of talk internally about culture but I know people who have worked for Barnes and Noble I used to I used to go over to the bar the Barnes and Noble merchandising manager and I used to meet for coffee when I was the merchandising manager for Borders because there were reasons for us to talk and, and be aware of what the other company was doing. Especially in a town like Wichita, which is a small town. It's a small bit. Sure. And right. I bet you were probably all doing the same kind of things. Right. And you wanted to make sure you also wanted to make sure that when you were gonna run a promotion, you weren't stomping on your competition in a way that is not that is just not good business relationship with, no. with the competitor with a, with a friendly competitor. Um, and but they made different decisions financially, and while the the big super chain bookstores have taken a hit, which is a lot of those of us who are big fans of the independent bookstores are okay with because it means that they're still around. There was a lot of concern about big chains wiping out small stores, mm -hmm. uh, Amazon wiping out, you know, all this sort of things. Right. Um, but the reality is, is that they made decisions that a lot of them were driven on this is the financial benefit. And in the short term, it made us. It made it, apparently it made sense. In the long term, the company doesn't exist. And sometimes, you know, DC DC gave us the new Fifty Two for some for for uh, some creative decisions. At least part of the argument was creative, but a lot of the argument was 
dollars. Marvel's made similar decisions as well on the comic book front. And I heard over the weekend, and I have not had a chance to look into this, and it's totally unrelated to any of this, but I heard over the weekend that enough fans of DC have blown back on this 5G plan that they've got for the new iteration of their titles and such that they're they're rethinking a little bit of mm. that plan which is actually interesting it's, it's if if you can get DC to possibly listen to the fans then maybe there's a little hope that Marvel will too although I'm not I'm not seeing any signs that that's going to be the case. Well, I, I think that, and we've talked about this before with where the comic book industry is right now, there's some, some comparisons to be made to a certain period of the 90s um, where the larger industry wasn't necessarily listening to what the fans were wanting. Mm. Um, and a lot of independence popped up. And we're seeing that certainly with some of the self-publishing folks, although that's, that's, a, that's a challenging road in its, in its own way. Well, and you kind of see that now with, with the the websites like Collider, where you sure know, Colli- Collider becomes this big thing, mm-hmm. and you know you have sites like Io9 and Kotaku and uh, all of the all of the giz- the the who runs that? Who used to have it? Well. Oh, for heaven's sakes! I just went blank. I just it wasn't just Giz- Gizmodo too. owns it now. Right, but, right, right. Uh, um, uh, <sighs> the, the, anyway, yeah, they're right. uh, they yeah they, they sold they're it off because they're yeah they so <laughs> you look at these sites Peter like, Thule was it Peter Thule sued them Thiel Thiel yeah yeah he sued them well he he and and uh, uh, Hulk Hogan Hulk Hogan right yeah. right 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 so you have you have these big sites like Nerdist mm-hmm. and Collider and the AV Club and all of these things that kind of became the next generation after Ain't It Cool. Right. You know, Ain't It Cool was one of the first ones. And then you had all of these other sites. And then you had all this proliferation of these littler sites, sites like ours. And it suddenly is not so much of a thing. It's, it's, it's kind of the same kind of thing with the independent bookstores, the smaller comic book shops, the whatever, where you have such a diversification now and i'm sure that's going into the thought process for mark fernandez to make this decision you know john campia has gone on and he's doing his own thing christian harloff is off doing his own thing robert meyer burnett is doing his own thing and you're left with and and matt jarbo made the observation that you're now playing with the B squad. You don't have you, you don't, don't have star talent who can carry those shows anymore. You've got the backup singers who are now in the front and, and sometimes even those backup singers can be really really good. They can be. They can be and and and, and I'll be honest, I did I haven't watched any of this stuff since it was AMC Movie Talk. I mean, uh, it's, that's uh, how long it's been. Since me I've either, and, paid attention. and I think I think that this is something that we have to we have to also point out that the market is so big and so varied right now, and so segmented, and so. Yeah. But you're you're 
you can get this you can get this kind of stuff you got from Collider a lot of different places. Which is why it's so important that when you have you're you've basically become personality driven at that point. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why Campia is is so successful because people like his sure. on camera presence. Christian Harloff the same way. Mm -hmm. Um uh, Richard Meyer, your boy Zach, he's it's the same way. Sargon of Akkad, uh, uh, Tim Pool, you know, people like how they come across on camera, so it's all personality. Sure. And when you have people in a show and they leave the show, and now you've got other people coming in that might not have that. And they, they Whatever may, it is. They may appeal to a certain segment or, or be more popular, but a lot of times if the person built that up, if that, if those, that personality or those personalities, if it was a, an ensemble show, because some of these are multiple people involved, right. not just one or two people, if for whatever reason they're not as popular with that original core group of people, they're likely to lose viewers at that point. Because, and maybe those other people went somewhere else and they followed mm -hmm. them there. Well, and and, and uh, I saw the interview with Campion Fernandez. We're skipping ahead a little bit, but they actually talked. Fernandez actually said, when John left, all of his audience went with him. So there was a there was a huge migration mm -hmm. of audience off of Collider videos. The only problem I have with that, with statements like that, is that, and then you get this a lot, for some reason, you, you get you, you get talking heads a lot of times, this time of, with, you know, the, right now with, with everybody campaigning and stuff, you get it with politics, you get it with government, things like that, but you also get it with entertainment. Mm. The idea that people can only do one thing at a time. Right. And it's like, uh, I'm, I'm only going to follow John. I'm never going to watch anything else on Collider. <laughs> Which, this is not how people operate. You, the show you may, the, the person you may like has moved to a different channel, but there's something that says you can't watch the other stuff because we're not watching it live. Right. We're watching the recording, and so you can actually go and watch John over here and Bob over here and Mary over here and well, Lewis and, over here. And we're not the only thing in town. We're right. not the only channel. I mean, it's not back in the day in the 1970s when there were three networks and three UHF channels, and that was it. Right. And then and and we we talk. It's we still see this happening with programming where you know you get the the live plus three plus five plus seven even though those numbers don't really mean what they think they mean anymore because people are watching you if you binge watch something right well those numbers are completely different but we don't get those numbers for a lot well, of these these well, streaming and, services and those don't, don't provide that those information. don't even count in the live plus 7 depending on where you are when you watch them right but but we're still clinging to this marketing this marketing model which is not viable for the way that people consume their content through these well, services i i'm going to argue with you or there or as viable I, i'm going to argue with you there because having been in television and having to understand the advertising model, you have to have some way of selling your airtime, whether it's your your channel, your network, your website, your overall media presence, or whatever. Mm -hmm. There has to be a there has to be value to the product, and so if you're sitting there saying, "Okay, well, in 
live, live plus three, live plus five, live plus seven, that gives you a measurement that you can then use to assign a value to your product. Yes. And that's that's necessary for selling ads or sponsors or the whatever. Problem, I mean, we, do, we do it here. I've sure, got a sheet that says this is how many people l- But look. the problem with that is that because we have stopped consuming entertainment the way that that model was developed for, it's a misleading set of numbers. It gives you X amount of information to a point, and right. then that information becomes... But past Live Plus 7, it's, it's, it doesn't have the value. But if you do Live, Live Plus 3, Live Plus 7 on every product... You can certainly have a baseline. But yeah, that gives you a, a mode of comparison between, okay, well, we have 47 million people watching at 5 o'clock. Fox only has 37 million people watching and that kind of thing. So you have to have something there to use as the box. Yeah, but it still ends up being numbers that are... We're not looking at TV or marketing the way that we used to as consumers when you and i were kids up until really the mid 90s late 90s Mm. you were a captive of the commercial yes you could not get away from the commercial and so the the information that your your advertisers got was you know we know that unless they got up and left the room and some of them probably did but the vast majority of eyes stayed in that room. Um, but now it's like fast forward through the commercial, yeah, or or just you know mute the commercial and. and Funny story, uh, Robert in the chat. I'll, I'll get to your comment in just a second because that that's something that we're going to look at here in a minute. So funny story about the ratings and and eyeballs and whatnot. So back in the day, and Nielsen is still the measurement company right for radio it's arbitron for television it's nielsen nielsen and nielsen does a lot of market research in a number of categories not just television right right. it's a huge thing well nielsen has the the lock on television ratings Mm -hmm. when you're talking about you know a ratings has a a a 0.5 share and a 1.5 rating and all this stuff that's all nielsen numbers and basically what they're doing is they're measuring households who are watching shows. And the way they do it is the household agrees to participate in the, in the sure. survey. Mm-hmm. And you get a little book, and you keep a little log of all of the little things that you watch, and then you send it in. Mm-hmm. And I imagine there's an electronic version of it right, now, but, but, but that's just, how Nielsen does right. it, is you have people that are actually filling out logs and saying, this is what I watched. And in some cases now, there's a little electronic monitoring device that can record all of that data for you, and it does it on its own, and it sends it in electronic. There's different ways to do it now. But I was working at a TV station up north in St. Joseph's, about an hour north of Kansas City. It was my first TV job up here. And there was one county up in northwest Missouri that was represented in the Nielsen's. You have an entire county. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many people were in that county. There's, but a, they there's had, some empty spaces in Missouri. <laughs> yeah, well, in Nottaway <laughs> County specifically, there was 
one book. There was one household in the entire county that represented sure. that county. So ratings numbers only mean so much, right, and they yeah. only go so far. Well, um, it's like anything else with this. You're, you're, it's like with polling. You're taking a sample, mm. and then you're basically saying, this is a representative sample, and hopefully you've done the work so that that is a relatively true statement, because yeah. that's that's always a... It's statistics, and statistics is also known as how, is called, known as how to lie with numbers. Um, <laughs> but... But the, yeah. the but and and, and very very quickly you can become a a polling source that people don't trust if you're mm -hmm. not if you're not you know if you can't actually back up your your yeah. methodology and there is a methodology to this it's not just you know we've sampled five hundred people and that really means you know three hundred million people think this it's there's there's a methodology to to weighting these things and and the really good polling companies the ones that are still around the ones that have have you know, people do take seriously, and however much as you can take seriously polling, because sure. because one of the things you find out, especially when you look at well, politics, of course, is the big one, but polling is used for a lot of things. You find very very quickly that polling gives you a snapshot of a moment in time. That's not always accurate. That's not always accurate, but it's also something that can shift dramatically in a very short period of time because. Polling only captures a a certain it well it, it's a snapshot yeah. and snapshots are a still thing. People aren't still things. We move around mentally, we move around emotionally, politically, well, and, and all and, these things. And the other thing, and and Robert makes a point in the chat. YouTube deliberately screwed up Social Blade so they could conceal and more easily manipulate viewership on their site. I'm not going to agree with that because. Um, I'm not aware, and I would have to look this up, I'm not aware that there's any kind of a, of a corporate connection between YouTube and Social Blade. I don't know that for a fact. I'm not sure. Sure. But I do know that the Social Blade numbers on our sites are accurate. Because uh, I looked at them today, across the board, looking at Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest, all of the different ones that Social Blade measures... All of the numbers for us are accurate. So based on that, I don't have very much reason to believe that Social Blade has been compromised the way Rotten Tomatoes has. But that leads us to this screen, which is the, 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 the audience numbers for Collider as they have been dropping since January 2nd. We can scroll through and you can see all of the red. Starting January 2nd, Collider Videos as a channel on YouTube has lost 28, I believe 28,000 subscribers in 11 days. You, you take away the shows they want to see or the shows they've been coming to see, then... Twenty-eight thousand. What's their? What's their? Um, what's their base? What's their? They're right now sitting. I think what at five eighty-nine. Five eighty-nine as of today. Five hundred eighty-nine thousand. So they started out. They got a thousand added on the first of January, and at that point they were at sixteen or six six hundred and seventeen thousand. Yeah. So they've lost a lot. Now. 
let's go back in time a little bit because we've skipped ahead a little bit further than where where we were just a minute ago when we talked about the announcement for for getting rid of these shows mm -hmm. the initial anger frustration why would you do this why would you do this right well then you had some punk kid named jack hind who works for collider and this is where it all starts to go downhill <clears throat> because jack hind who at the time people thought was the number two guy at Collider, mm -hmm. posted on Twitter a very snide, very childish remark about everybody that had just been let go. Right. And was very callous and mean. And the, the emphasis on shows like For Your Consideration and the celebrity stuff... He came off as saying it was very high-handed that this is the better stuff. This is the quality. He stuff. responded. He tweeted a response. It was Napsock that had said something. Napsock, and he was very. He was proud to be at this event and and, and the excitement yes. that he was going on. And Hind had sat there and and basically said, you know, um, this is the kind of thing that that is you know worthwhile and everything else was basically you know uh, movie and fart jokes. Yeah. And, and this that's when the that's when the balloon went up. Now and now there's a <coughs> now you used the word punk kid and and certainly uh John Campia had a few choice <laughs> things. Um uh, I, I I don't and I I never realize we've talked about, about politeness on the internet before. Um don't know this guy. Don't know this Jack Hind. Um don't particularly want to. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem like the kind of person I would be getting along with. Uh, not to mention, he's apparently quite young, and I'm not. And and you know, from, from what I understand, clearly we have a mental his, difference in mental. He's in his twenties, you know, we have a mental so. differences in, in viewing the world yes. a certain way. Um, but that said, um, people say stupid things online all the time, and people say hurtful and unpleasant things online all the time. Sometimes, in this particular case, at least according to his boss not realizing the consequences of what that's going to mean. Right. And so, while the instinct is there to call this little twerp <laughs> a punk or an idiot or a twerp or all the things, because, because he's inspiring an emotional response, and it's an understandable one. Well, here's, here's my take. But we're, con we're contributing... We, I, mm, we're contributing to the problem by doing it, and and and, and I get it. Trust me, I've, well, I'm I'm not above doing the same thing. But uh. but here's here's my thing, my thinking on this. Um. And yes, I'm old fashioned. We're in a we're of an age yeah. where we have learned if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. Or if, at least if, take a minute. If your first impulse is to say something mean and stupid, shut up, take a breath, walk around the block first. Yes, you can type that email, but don't hit send. You know, these kind of things. We've learned this an, stuff. An addendum? If you don't know what you're actually talking about... Don't say anything. Don't... Don't... Think you're an expert when you're not, okay? Because Twitter is full of experts. Oh, there's on a whole everything. If well, and and if you ever want to see a dog pile, 
and however you feel about it, um, uh, there's a website called Bad Legal Takes. <laughs> or there's a Bad Legal Takes really? on Twitter. I haven't and, seen that. And basically, it's someone says something online about the law, and Bad Legal Takes will post it, and you'll watch all the professional lawyers go, what? <laughs> and then it becomes a feeding frenzy to talk about how dumb this it's a lot of times they'll remove the name of the person not always yeah. but sometimes they'll remove because it's like sometimes it's like no no they deserve the dog pile mm -hmm. and sometimes it's like no no this is just a person who's a, who just doesn't know any better but it's yeah. it's as a layman as someone who is not a lawyer i've i've played a lawyer in films um i've uh i've i, I i've had a lawyer uh, at, a, at a couple of times in my life i've actually had a lawyer for various reasons um but even I can look at some of these things and go, how could you, have yeah. you met the legal system? Have you I, watched Law and Order? Well, <laughs> Do and, you not understand? And you talk about a dog pile. When Jack, <laughs> Hind, when Jack Hind posted what he posted, oh. the pile came after him, oh. came after Fernandez. Yeah. And up until that point, Campia was pretty restrained. He was, he, you know, standoffish, it's business, this is yeah, the yeah. thing. I'm not happy about it, but... But I get it and all that. Yeah. And then when Jackheim posted what he posted, Campia unloaded with both barrels. Yeah. And it was one of these things, the, the, the comment threads on that video... And Andy Signor even said, you know, because they've had, they've had, you know, they've butted heads a couple of times just over what Andy says was misunderstandings, but okay, fine, they've cleared everything up. Sure. But the the comments thread were basically like, Campia needs to do this more often. You know, he needs to blow up and get angry more often. Although He's so I, restrained all although, the time. Although I will say, even his blowing up was fairly restrained according yeah. to uh, compared to a lot of people on yeah. online. Well, uh, and so then, I give him, I give him a lot of credit for the fact that he was just like I mean, he his voice went up a little. Yeah. And you could tell I mean there was there was restraint happening there and whether he you was, he was holding himself back. Whether you were, whether you would however you think, think about him because he's got fans and people there are not fans of it and it's how it is. But quite frankly, I appreciated I wish he'd, and, I, and we talked about this last week uh, off air, I wish that he'd done it in the exact same tone as his first video, because there's some, I'm a big fan of the quiet anger being yeah. extremely effective, um, but it was effective. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not criticizing, again, I just, I, I, I personally found his, the first of the videos to be really effective because he was just like, this is how the world works. But... Wow. He was he was certainly justified, I think, right. in in his, well, and then, his feeling there because a lot of the people that a lot of the people this this Hind was talking about were people Campia had worked with. They're people that and he knew. To it. And yeah, yeah. So there, there was a sense of not only uh, um, you know just wow, you're an incredibly insensitive individual. You should be ashamed of yourself. But you came after people that I yeah. know. Yeah, and so yeah, there's some, there's a lot of that and, there. And so, <laughs> after the dog pile, Mark Fernandez comes on, does an hour, town hall they called it. Never looks at the camera. He is terrible on camera, he, in my opinion. Is Sorry, very terrible on camera. Doesn't some people have... are. Some people are. Let's be very very clear. Some people I'm cannot good. cannot be on camera right. and I'm, be comfortable. I'm not I'm not very good. I film people a, a chunk of my job is filming people for a living. So some people are terrible on camera. Yeah, good so great great people. He's got 
he's got he doesn't have any notes he hasn't done any preparation he comes into it blind basically and he's got a list of all of the people that he's just fired and I'm and I, I'm I'm watching this and I'm listening to him and I've been watching there's a there's a website there's a a, a video channel body uh, uh, body language ghost mm. she does a lot of of analysis of body language for for people like in interviews and speeches sure, right, yeah. and, and that kind of thing and you start picking up on some of this stuff mm. and he's oh he's always got his head down he's kind of hunched over he's he's pulled into himself mm-hmm. so. Right off the bat, he's in defensive posture. And it's not aggressive defensive. It's, oh, God, let's just get through this defensive. And this, you know, don't, don't, don't come at me, but this is what it is. I'm a smaller target. Please don't hit me. Pretty much. Yeah. Except there's that little part where his spine is, is just tough enough because he's sitting there saying, this was the decision that I made, and I stood, uh, you know, I, at the time, this is the right decision to make. I'm not going back on it. I'm not going to apologize for it. He never he never apologized for it. And then when he went into the whole thing about being in an at-will state, uh, hold it. Ho- okay. Yeah. And, and it starts coming out that he knew he was going to do this at least as far back as early December, a couple of months ago. And he didn't want to do it before the holidays and ruin everybody's holiday. And okay, so you waited until they come back from the holiday, and then you fire everybody without any notice, without any warning whatsoever. And and whether you're in an at will state or not, that's poor form. Oh, that's terrible form. I mean, I can understand immediately firing somebody because they have screwed up so massively terribly that they've cost the company thousands of dollars in PR oh, and yeah. respect and reputation and all that. Oh, this was this was incredible. But this wasn't that. No, this was incredibly Okay, having been a manager, having fired people um or been involved in firing people. Cuz I've only fired I ever had to fire like two people as a manager. I was involved in other people's firings. Um and uh, having having not left every job I've ever had willingly, um, I think most uh, if you get to a certain point in life, you've been you've been let go for for. I, I have a story. One reason or another, <laughs> um, and but I've got a doozy of a story. Um, but even even with his and, and I'm jumping a little ahead here, he sat down with John Campion and they did they did this interview. Yeah. Even watching that. All I could think to myself was, does this guy, how long has he lived in this bubble? Because there's two things I'm seeing when I'm looking at this, and, and we'll talk more about the, the, the discussion you had with Campia, which I think was, there's some positives to it. I mean, some. It, there's some positives to it. Um, I don't agree with some of it, but I think that it was a much better thing than the town hall in terms of his oh, presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still crap on camera. No, don't get me wrong. He's so bad on camera. Um, okay, but if, if you're going to be on camera for any reason at all, shave. Wear clean clothes. Or if you're not going to shave, at least have a yeah. 
well-styled scruff be, yeah, going. Be, you're, 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 be you're, trimmed and neat and clean. He, and and he don't looks wear like, a t-shirt. And he I mean, looks he like they like just pulled, they pulled him out from underneath the bed where he's been hiding. Um, <laughs> Pretty much. And, 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 I, and I don't mean, I, I don't, uh, it just, and he looks, he looked incredible. I'm rumpled like, most of the time. He looked like he hadn't had a shower in three days. Right. I mean, well, it and was it's, like, really? This is such a huge thing right now, and you're the owner of the business. Yeah, so there's there that's that's kind of part of what I was looking at this, looking going, thinking, okay, if you don't have people around you for okay, if you're if you are if you are running a business, you need the people around you to help you run that business. Running a business by yourself beyond a certain scale is impractical and dangerous yes um you are not an expert in all things you that's why businesses get accountants that's why businesses get lawyers that's why businesses get supply chain specialists they, they you Marketing end up and pr people right you end up with these things that are are basically the people who you hire to do the parts of the job so you can do the thing that you're really good at. Mm -hmm. And if you happen to be building your business from the ground up, you're good at whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. But once you get to a certain point, you've got to have a support staff. And some of that support staff has got to be somebody next to you who goes, yeah, so. Here's a clean shirt. <laughs> not only yeah, that, <laughs> but not only that, but more importantly... When you say, okay, we've reached the point with these numbers, we can't, we're, you cannot, we cannot sustain this particular aspect of the business, okay? We have to replace it, we have to do and go to a new direction, it, we're going to have to let people go, it sucks, I feel really bad about this, okay. You need someone to look at you and go, you have to tell the people you're firing. Hmm. When you're not firing them for cause, I don't care if it's an at-will employer. Yeah. I don't care if it's an at-will state. You have, if you're not firing, if you're firing them for cause, fire them, get them out of your business. That's they're, a completely they're, 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 different thing. Yes. There's, there's there's reasons to do that, um, and some of them are very very good, and some of them are very important. Sometimes your business depends on that. But if you're not firing for cause, if you're firing because you're changing directions with the company, doing this, you have an. Uh, you have an obligation as an employer mm -hmm. to your employees. They, you are not just, you're, yes, you're paying them to show up. You're paying them to do the work. You're, all these things. But there's also an aspect of, there's a social contract you're entering in as an employer, as an employee. Yeah. And that both of you are going to treat the other person in a professional and dignified manner. You expect that of your employees. Your employees have a right to expect it from you. And you, if you're going to change directions, okay, you've made the decision. It's going to hurt. You know you're going to tick off your fans. And we'll talk about that in a minute, too. Because uh, another part of this weird bubble that he lives in um, is this is this is horribly unprofessional. Oh yeah, horribly unprofessional and horribly just rude. I mean, it's just—it's so—it's in, an inconsiderate decision. I'm not surprised Hind made an inconsiderate comment because it fe felt to me, just watching this, that on the top level, 
the person making decisions isn't taking wasn't taking into account the consideration that he should be having for his own employees at that point. Well, and the other thing, too, is it came out in that conversation that Jack Hind is not the number two guy. Right, yeah. He's responsible for fulfillment on sponsorship obligations. Right. So, say, say the H2O podcast comes in and we get a sponsor, let's say Black Rifle Coffee, say, just as a, you know, pull a name out of the hat. And uh, if you have... Uh, you have Black Rifle Coffee that comes in and says, okay, we want five mentions per show and we want at least one anchor drinking our coffee during the show and we're going to do a 15-second commercial, whatever. Hind would be the guy that makes sure those requirements Mm -hmm. are met and then you fill out the report and you say, okay, this is how many times we said it and this is who, who did this and whatever and this is how many times the spot ran and did that. So Hind doesn't have as much responsibility as people were making out early on. But again, with that kind of job, your presence can be fair. You could be around the people, the talent, quite a bit. And be in a position where, because you're on the, the talent quite a bit, you can come across as being in a position of authority because you're constantly sitting there saying, "We need these things," and it's so. If people were perceiving that way, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I felt, I personally felt that the explanation of how people were perceiving him as number two in the company was a little thin. Yeah, but I can see how it could happen. Well, and the other thing that a lot of people were sitting there saying is that if if Hind was making these comments. He wasn't making those comments in a vacuum. At right. some point in the past, that conversation might have happened between Hind and other people, like maybe Mark Fernandez. The well, the assumption was, and you know, there might not be anything to this. This could be people just jumping to conclusions that well, if Jack said it, <coughs> other people may be thinking it. And that's certainly possible, but but whether you whether that conversation happened, whether it didn't happen, where people were thinking it or saying it, um, you should have a point in your in your mental processes where you think perhaps this wouldn't be the brightest thing to put out into the world. And I realize we live in the era of social media mm. where instant response to something is just a thing that we're all doing. Yeah, everybody's conditioned to do it. Um, Robert makes a point in the chat. Employees of millennial journalist websites have utterly violated social contracts and social norms by decrying everyone they don't like as Nazis instead of actual discourse. You're asking for social norms of people who have utterly violated them. And I think that's a little, personally, I think that's a little limiting. I think if you look at overall, not just in journalism websites and millennials specifically, but overall in the broad sense, because we've talked about this a number of times with the way social media happens. It's just too damn easy. The the cancel culture permeates everywhere. It's it's too easy. Oh, yeah. You can't, there's no, there's no... there's no barrier now between you thinking a thing and you saying the thing. And there's no filter. In the days when, and I, you know, I, yes, there's huge benefits to having this kind of instant communication. There's a lot of lives get saved 
because we have instant communication. There is no question that there are benefits to being able to have this kind of people save lives with Twitter. I mean, it, it's a thing that happens. Well, and and political movements. If you look at what's going on with the protests that are right now going on in Iran, right. Uh, stuff that was going on in in Syria or in Turkey or you know those places where you know we show well Hong Kong mm-hmm. is a good example of that where where the the state tries to shut down all of this stuff well because social media gets everything out and you find out what's going on right and this is this is cru- crucially important uh, in in the in the interconnected world that we live in now we we tend to we tend to you know it's really really easy to be reminded how small the planet is when we can all talk to each other. Yeah. And how, how the differences between us are mostly uh, window dressing for the fact that we're all basically at the core the same kinds of people without strip away the, the, the nationalist and religious and all the different, the different frameworks we operate in. The core things about, about humanity is basically we're the same, which is great. But However, it also, yeah, it also works against us because it is so easy, like, like with that lawyer site, it's so easy to dogpile onto right. anybody that you that that becomes a target. Well, which is why some of these folks, some of these places that actually actively do this sort of thing, where they sit there and look and, and poke fun at, now not every one of them, of course, but some of them poke fun at at some of the ridiculous things they see online, is they will take the identifier off. Which is in which in some cases is really really important because we all say stupid things sometimes, mm. but again it comes down to when we were young and I know we do this all the time but the, the thing is is that when we were when when I was dating my ex wife in high school <laughs> and 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 the first year in college it was so expensive to make a phone call. Because you paid by the minute, and they were long-distance charges. And uh, you wrote letters. And, and you thought about every word that you said when you're writing the letter to the, you know, the girlfriend or the boyfriend or whatever. Right. And when you wrote a complaint to your team, <laughs> Dear sir, I should wish to like to complain. Which is, which, yeah, it's funny, but it's also the thing, you thought about it. You... Even if you dashed off a note in 30 seconds and threw it in the mail, mm-hmm. you, you took a minute to write it down. And there's a physical process that happens when you are writing something manually my, versus typing it. My father on your phone still writes letters. And there, there's something to, to. There are some. There are authors out there, big name authors, um, who will tell continue to tell you that they. Do drafts in pen Long or pencil, yeah. and and then they'll go back because it's, it actually helps with the editing process. I, actually, the way that's how I write scripts still yeah. is I'll make if nothing else I'll make notes to myself about the script and then I'll type it, um, and then because it gives me an extra bit of editing, I, I'm editing myself as I go because it cuts out cuts down on the number of drafts. Yeah. I do about six on average anymore. I usually will at least go uh, outline yeah on a on a notepad. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a benefit to that, that I think that the instant response, and I, I, mean, I hate to, it sounds like such a thing. The four years that I spent driving for a living, where it wasn't like, oh, I spent years before that driving for a living too, but I mean, the, the four years where that was, I was in a car seven hours a day, essentially, um, 
you know, driving across Kansas City and on the highway a lot, could not text, could not go to social media. The time just simply wasn't there. There was a huge benefit, I think, to me. There's some downsides as well. I missed a lot of important from, uh, announcements of friends' lives, things I missed out, uh, good and bad. Right. Um, but I got to tell you, I take so little social media to make a comment or a post or anything anymore. And there's downsides See, to that, but at the same time, it's like... Yeah, I was about to say, because that, as much as I absolutely loathe social media, for me... Given what we do here, yeah. for me, it's a necessary tool to kind of keep aware of I everything can... that's going on. And so when I mentioned something and Tim was like, bleak, 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 I was like, have you not been on Twitter in the last two years? Or have you not been seeing what's been going on? He's like, I have, I have, I have been have... on Twitter maybe twice in the last... I have cheerfully whatever. managed to miss the worst of Twitter. But believe me, every time I've stuck my toe in, I've sat there and went, oh, God, this is a swell. I know, but it's it, but it's one of those things where <laughs> as much as I hate social media, I recognize that it's a necessary thing for well, us and, to and keep I've, track of what's I have, happening. I have committed to, to do posting more on social media because, and you'll note, since the first of the year, I've been doing better. Um you're gonna take the baby steps and <laughs> like them, um, because again, it's, it's part, you know, I I got out of the mindset, and sure, and there's nothing, and, and again, there's, ugh. I actually envy the people my, uh, I envy the people who never got on social media, because there are people who don't have a Facebook account, they don't have a Twitter account. I got rid of my personal Twitter account a number of years ago. I got a LinkedIn message from a old colleague of mine yeah uh and first of all i was like oh yeah they haven't been on facebook in like three years and they sent me a linkedin message saying hey Folks, how are you if you are on linkedin and somebody sends you a message respond would you mm -hmm. please i don't know how many times i've sent notes to people that i've connected with on linkedin linkedin hey <sighs> thanks for connecting linkedin is very Never very back. linkedin is very very easy to think of as like a rolodex without an action without being a contact service as as somebody who who my the company that i work for you know we we it's a grant writing company linkedin actually is a platform that is on a professional level, much more, uh, a, it works for our company in a way that, say, Twitter doesn't necessarily do. No. Because the grant professionals, people who are looking for a grant professional, would be are likely to use LinkedIn to look for that as opposed to Twitter. Now, we have Twitter accounts. We have two Twitter accounts. We have one for our training side of our business and, and one for the company as a whole. Um, and there's benefits to that. And I run the Twitter account for our training for the training side of things, which means I post like once a week. I mean, it's not complicated. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, depending on what you do. So, yes, they should. But I'm not surprised with LinkedIn because LinkedIn doesn't have the. I mean, it has a fairly huge footprint, and our and our marketing folks are and, like. And the you entire know, point of LinkedIn is making business connections. And sure. you would think that business people you would who think get that. a message would respond to the you message. You would think it's a that. personal quirk of mine. Anyway, we, we got a little bit But we digress. So, um, <laughs> so the dog pile, yeah, yeah. that happens. 
And then uh, Fernandez goes on and talks to John Campia on his show. Mm -hmm. And there's a dogpile there because mm -hmm. in the live chat, people are all, you know, Jack needs to apologize. Jack needs to apologize. Now, Fernandez did make, make the point in both videos that disciplinary action for Mr. Hind is not going to be in the public square, which is fine. That's his prerogative. And, and as a professional, as an employer, that is a decision for the other decisions that he made that I do not agree with. That one, for a couple of reasons, both for being a good boss and a good employee relationship needs yeah. to happen, and for some legal reasons that can get you sued really badly if you violate them. Well, not only that, but from Just, yeah. a standpoint of company morale. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh. if I force, if I force my employee to go do a, a public mea culpa. Well, according what to, is everybody else going to think to, according, he, according to him, he uh, Hind came to him and said that he was going to do the public mea culpa. He was willing. And he said no. And, and this... I understand his logic for this, believing that it would basically be no... People would not actually listen to him. They would expect it to be a, you know, a, just the PR thing that you do. And unfortunately, we have seen... There's... You... It actually becomes a thing... It becomes a thing now... That you actually have articles on news sites where someone talks about, and so-and-so gave, gave what actually appeared to be a real apology. Yeah. We have reached the point now. It's a PR maneuver. Where we don't trust someone saying, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Admittedly, we get a whole lot of the, I'm sorry you were offended. No, no, no. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm sorry <laughs> I got caught. I'm sorry I got caught. It's like no, I'm yes, I'm sorry you 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 uh, embarrassed your family and and every you know and yourself, but that's not the it, the issue is not that you embarrassed the ones you love. The issue is that you did a wrong thing. Yeah, and 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 I to some degree, have, there there are PR people who want you to spin things a certain way, and you pay them to tell you that stuff. And and when you do, when when you do have PR people or marketing people or somebody somebody there who is specifically tasked to managing the reputation of the company, it's probably a good idea to listen to them. And, uh, unless, they've given you, the unless they've given you bad advice in the past, in which case, hire someone else. Yes. Um, there, are a few, there are a few situations where that has come back to bite people by going, well, didn't you make the same dumb decision last year when you said something this, this stupid? No. I think for me, uh, looking at what's going on right now with Fernandez and Collider, it it reinforces the decision that I made for a, a long time ago uh, for us here because you and I had a meeting with some people what was this five or six years ago oh, how long ago yeah, yeah, yeah. so mm -hmm, right. we met with some venture capital people right and they said oh, we see a whole lot we see a lot of potential in your company and you guys could be you know fifty thousand subscribers by the end of the year we're like Really? Where do you see that? I uh, do what? tell. Yeah. How do we get there? Well, and the thing is that any any conversation with venture capital people would usually end in we're going to buy you out. Right. You... And my inclination, my my gut response was, no, you're not. I'm not building this to sell it. Which is, a, which is a perfectly viable business model if that's what you want to do with your company. Yeah, I'm, I'm building this because, for me, 
one, it's something that I enjoy. Two, it's also an opportunity. If we get to the point where I we get a sustainable business model here and we get our, a revenue stream, I want to pay the staff. I want to create jobs with this. Being the entrepreneur in 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 this whole mess, um, you know, I want to be able to help the people who who have right, yeah. contributed their talents and their time and their effort. And for Fernandez to sit there and say, you know, this is this is my company, this is the direction we're going to go and all these things. I can understand to a certain extent you make the decisions that you think are the best for the company. Mm-hmm. And yet I look at the decisions that he's making in terms of where he wants to take Collider Video with for mm-hmm. consideration with the deep fakes, and I see a cliff in his future. Okay. And I don't mean a Cliff Clavin, although there may be a Cliff Clavin advising him at this point. But for your consideration, I can see, okay, fine. It, the celebrity we do interviews with celebrities all the time. Mm-hmm. We go out to the events and all that. But our our celebrity interviews are not specifically chasing celebrities so much as we're covering an event right. and here are these people at the event and we're doing these interviews as part of this overall broader project. And we don't actually know what, because he hasn't really actually said what some of the real future plans are beyond what we've seen. Right. We don't, we don't know what other things they're planning on rolling out. There's some there's there's some some vagueness here, which is understandable because, but we're there's operating on what is visible. Um, before we get too far into where they want to go next, yes, I do want to touch on one of the things he was talking about, and he said this a lot, and it really bothered me, which is this whole idea that the fans needed like a representative. To, to tell them what they feel. Oh, yeah. And, okay, so so on one level, comments on things like YouTube or on your own website or wherever, Twitter, Facebook, um, this is one way that fans get information to you, right? Yes. Um, however, um, if you happen to have, say, 500,000 followers, it's a wall. Of comments, and a lot sure. of times, a lot of times, picking out the things that actually matter can be difficult. That said, um, does he live in a bubble? Because, and the answer seems to be yes, yes. Because the idea that you would not know what your fans wanted, you would not recognize that the. I'm sorry, it was just so bloody oblivious. Sorry, it's just. I have a hard time getting my head around somebody, somebody's thought processes which don't understand that if your organization has this core thing that was built up over time, mm-hmm. that has actually been part of the way your company has grown, that these things are part of what Collider is known for. And they're not just known for their, their, their videos. They, they do other things as well. They're certainly, you know, that's... Um, but... If this is a thing, how can you not comprehend that if you take that thing away, people are not going to respond negatively when you know that even if the numbers are falling, 
even if the math doesn't add up on the financial side for keeping something around, how do you not know that people are, or not at least anticipate? You've been in business before. Yeah. If you stop selling a product people want to buy, people are going to pen you a stern letter. Or they're going to send you, uh, they're going to stop by and ask to speak to the manager. Go to a grocery store in your hometown, and you and if you hang around, the, this is be really weird, so don't do it, but if you hang around the customer service desk long enough, you're going to have someone come up and go, why don't you guys carry this thing oh, anymore? Yeah. Well, I bought that every time I came here. I have uh, a particular link sausage that I like. It's made by Eckrich. It's in a green pack. It's about yay big. There's 10 to a pack. Feel free to send properly refrigerated I, uh, uh, samples to. Well, uh, we do have a mailing address. Um, <laughs> I have... Properly, properly refrigerated. Refrigerated and packaged. Um, so, ah! so... I know, right? Um, but so Jason, we you said gone, send them to us. We have gone to, I don't know how many grocery stores looking for this and the one that's closest to the grocery store that's closest to us they every now and then sometimes have the ones that have the cheese injected into them sure right which thank you no i just want the regular ones right yeah and it is uh it's you know we're reliving national treasure searching for these things it you know it is it's tomb raider type of stuff and when we do find them it's funny you think you think this is a thing i've got um, the visual in my head and i we don't stockpile. know how to feel about that we stockpile because it was funny because uh mindy stopped at the store she had a doctor's appointment up north about half an hour north and mm-hmm. she's going by a grocery store up there she said, oh, i'm just gonna stop in and take a look and see <laughs> grabbed all of them yeah, yeah. And, and half of them are in the freezer and half of them are in the other freezer and a couple of them are in the refrigerator because you don't they're not around they're not everywhere and it's it's tough to find them I was like I really like this link sausage I want to find it right but but you at but least I have, but I've had conversations with with yeah. the meat department managers I was like this is a thing I would like to buy the thing if you carry the thing, I will come buy them. Now, when the people at these stores are making the calculations on what to order and what to stock, they're going to be taking into account what Jason says and what other people say. And if other pe- not enough people ask for it, they may not order it. How- there's, a, there's another piece to that I found out. A little bit of inside baseball for those sure. of you who want to understand how grocery stores run. Um, if you go in and there's a spot on the shelf that's empty mm-hmm. and there's a little price tag and they got a barcode, then it's in their catalog. They can order it. Mm. If they don't have it out on the shelf somewhere, right? it's likely 99% not in the catalog where they can order it from whoever their distributor is, yeah. which I thought was rather interesting because if... This is a product, and you want to order the product so you can sell the product. You ought to be able to order it. But if the distributor, mm. you're going up the food chain, as it were. Oh, dear. There. If the distributor doesn't carry it, then the store can't order it. Mm. 
Sure. Because their supplier doesn't have it. Right. Yeah. And so then you get into this this chain of I can't get it, they can't get it, they can't get it. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well if it's not if you so if you're looking for a particular product and there's not a there's not a slot for it, that store chances are that store is not going to be able to order it special. Well, and to some degree that makes a certain amount of sense when you look at there is there is turns out there's more than one grocery store chain in the world. The douche you say. I, I swear it's swear what? I swear it's true. Oh. Um, but you can actually you actually go My to worldview has been shattered. Not really. I was going to say. <laughs> Get out more. Um the you know but you Literally, I, as you I can, am I am perfectly I, fine right here in the <laughs> office all the time. When, there used to be yeah. Dylan's stores in the on the Kansas side of Kansas City. They aren't there anymore. Are they all gone now? I think they're all gone. Or if they're if they're not all I was gone, there was one left. If they're not all gone, they're far enough out that I'm not willing to yeah. drive that far for what I can get. Um, when in in Wichita, where I you know grew up, uh, Dylan's is was one of the probably the biggest chain in Wichita. They replaced the Safeways and IGAs and things like that that were there. Um, because that's what happens. The Safeway in my hometown got replaced by a bingo hall. Safeway turns out to... Safeway's essentially a franchise, as I understand it. Um, basically, you'd have Marsh's Safeway and Bob's Safeway and that sort of thing. But you're basically getting stuff from... So you, you go from one Safeway to another, you're basically getting similar products. I would actually drive out... When I moved to Kansas City, I would drive out like 15, 20 minutes to go to the Dillon's out west in Kansas, because uh, I lived in Missouri, I still live in Missouri, um, because they sold, I knew that, I knew that I could go there, and if you've ever spilled ink on a shirt mm. and gone, I have just ruined this shirt, <laughs> they, they, sell, they sold a little cleaning supply that would just take that ink right out. Was it the pen, the Tide pen? No, it was a little little uh, yellow bottle, about yay big, about what, six inches tall and about three inches at the base, and then it was like just tapered up mm. um, at the at a kind of a triangle. And super effective stuff, cleaning. I mean, it's like, yeah. um, and not cheap, but not super expensive. And of course, one little bottle was like, you use it up very quickly. But sure. I would be more than happy to arrive out there and go, this stuff cleans everything, you know. And I'd buy like five or six different varieties of this things for the and because I knew that it worked. And so yeah. you, you're willing to make those decisions for something like Collider. Let's see how we bring it back around. Um, the we're talented that way, <laughs> or something. Um, <laughs> the the idea that people are not going to be upset when you take away a thing. Whether you've got an audience of five, or five thousand, or fifty thousand, mm. or a hundred thousand, or a million, or whatever scale it is, you just need one person to sit there and go, "Hey, you took away my thing." The idea, and he said this way too much. I, uh, and I again, it's hard. It, he's he's so bad on camera. He's just bad. He's and I, again, in all fairness. I know some really, really talented people who on camera do not come across as really, really talented people. Yeah. I know very intelligent people. I work with a wonderful, wonderful lady who is so uncomfortable on camera. And she's getting better because she's got she keeps practicing. But she's not there yet. She's not as comfortable. She's okay. She's not as comfortable as say my boss. 
mm. who's extremely comfortable. She completely ignores the camera. She sure. plays to the audience in a beautiful way when she's giving a presentation. It's great. That said, he kept saying over and over and over again, if I had known that fans are direct, have you ever been outside? Have you ever been... Did Have you heard the story about the little TV show called Star Trek? Have you ever heard about the TV show called Doctor Who? Did you ever hear about Jericho? Did you ever hear... Have you ever heard anybody sit there and say, but I bought the first two books in the series. What do you mean there's not going to be a third book? Yeah. Well, and, and conversely, if you make a thing, a widget, a TV show, a book, a comic book, or whatever, sure. and if it starts to sell, then there's an audience for it. You would think that would be a fairly... It might not be a big Logical. enough audience to justify the cost of making the thing. Right, and that, yeah. that's a business decision that you mm -hmm. have to look at the overall math of it. But as far as the internet goes, I mean, you look at our operation here. I've got a 13-year-old computer and three webcams. Mm -hmm. And a... a, a, a that camera there that we're using for the main camera is not even an HD camera. Right. It is an old Panasonic. It's a workhorse. I love this camera. This is a Panasonic that was made. I bought. We got this. I got this camera in two thousand six, I believe. Mm -hmm. So it's as old as the as the computer. It's right. there. There of an age. And we're using two, three new webcams. We got the bump shot up here in the, in the thing, and let's see. I'm I'm gonna do ha ha ha. Watch this. I'm gonna pop that off so it doesn't go again. So we've got this bump shot way up here, which is a fairly recent model webcam. From this distance, it looks very sepia. It, um, the. Well, I've adjusted the camera. I've adjusted the, the, the color balance because yeah. it was too red. It was bleeding mm. in. So we've got that camera. I don't mind a sincere camera. We've got, we've got this, this camera here aimed at Tim. This is a brand new HD Hello. camera. And then we have this camera too here. Too close, too close, too close. <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you pull back any further? How do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's, that's the setup. Yeah. And I've got a studio light. That I've had because I, of my work in in media production, this is not a complicated setup. But and then the overall grand scheme of things, it's not a terribly expensive one. Right. But once you start paying your once you start paying your on air talent, once you That's start thing. once yes. you start paying you know and, and once you reach a certain scale where you are paying support staff, when you are paying the the you know you've got an intern. You know who you actually are paying, which is what you should be doing with it. Paying an intern, um, you know you've got. Shh, don't tell our interns. You're, you tell the interns you're they're, I, you're paying them as I much could. as you're paying me. I wish I could pay everybody. I, um, I mean, that's that's I the goal. But um, the you know once you once you start building a support staff, you start factoring in these equations of, of what you're spending uh, and what it costs to actually do the thing that you're doing. Yeah. But the idea again, I just I, I don't know how I can emphasize this enough. The idea that he would make these decisions and then act surprised or 
No. In all fairness to him, be surprised that people would have the reactions that they had. That people would sit there and say, how can you do this? Leaving, leaving aside the tackiness of firing people the way that he did, yeah. or, or, or not giving them a final episode, which was a big thing that, that John was like, give the fans at least a, a send-off. Give the staff at least a send-off. Tacky. Uh, uh, short-sighted, short-sighted, especially. To some degrees, to some degree, at least to your employees, a little cruel. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, if nothing else, insensitive. And what does it tell the staff that you've kept? Not who could be much. next. Much good, because <sighs> let me, let's let's get into the, de- the a conversation very quickly about the deep fake stuff because we're an hour and a half into this and I want to I yeah, want to cut this cut this off here pretty soon. The deep fake stuff that's going away in six months. I'm sorry, that's not going to be. And I know, I know, Fernandez says that's not the end all be all of what they're planning. And at one point, he and Campio talked about the fact that movie talk could be coming back in some way, shape, or form. There are other plans for things. But deep fake video is a fad. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I, it is. As I soon as the technology is, is ubiquitous enough that everybody is going to be doing it, then everybody is going to be doing it. And We're I wish they wouldn't. Now. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I don't even like it. Well, see, the thing I think it's is, dangerous. Well, yeah, and that's that's the thing is as soon as somebody figures out how to weaponize this, and oh, we've already seen they already know how to weaponize. We've already seen um, politicians. We've seen deep fakes of politicians making speeches that they never made. Mm-hmm. We, you you know, thought it was you thought it was bad enough when someone took misleadingly edited. A video of someone talking, so to make them sound what to say to say whatever horrible thing, and yeah. and it's this it, is this is far beyond that, and not to mention not to mention, um, on a purely professional standpoint, we're that much closer to not actually needing actors. Oh sure, right. And as someone who has been an actor, as someone who is friends with actors, as someone who appreciates the amount of work that goes into doing acting, um. What a terrible, terrible place to be. Nothing wrong. Well, nothing it, wrong with with realistically animated characters that are voiced by right. professionals. Well, but and, I'm saying we're reaching the point. You look at something like Rogue One, mm-hmm. where you have somebody else playing Peter Cushing, playing Grand Marf Tarkin. Right. That's a type of use of this technology. But you've also got deep fake. Uh, deep fake porn videos. Oh yeah, which so are you can blight. have you can have your favorite celebrity in very compromising videos that they've never been part of, or innocent people, innocent who, people. who have not. I mean, look, uh, here's my boyfriend doing here, this, and, and why? How dare you? And look well, at this. And, Here's and, video evidence. And there was just a. I mean, think. And if you if you think this is my, you know, uh, there was just a case, and and the the worst perpetrator of it uh, actually fled the country before he could actually. Uh, but the company's ba- is going to get dismantled, and, and but there were a whole bunch of women who were who were essentially tricked into being into uh, a kind of porn that was released on through the the tube channels, um, and and if you're not familiar with it, that's actually a thing. Tube channels on that's like, as a, we we joke about tubes in the internet. No, uh, this actually means something in context, right. and and most of and I think they they pretty much won their case here that they were basically. 
you know, they were lied to and this stuff was put out in ways that, that was really damaging to them on a personal level. No. Whatever decisions you make in that regard, whatever you feel, however you feel about the subject, these women did not deserve to have what was done to them, done to them. And if you can just change it with a click of a mouse, and I mean that's blackmail material. That's yeah. life destroying well, material. And and just uh, yeah, here's here's the TED Talk PSA moment for everyone. Stop doing all of these ten year challenges and oh, what yeah. you look like challenges and what Disney character are you and who 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 what what's what's in store for you in 2020. Quit doing all that crap because it's giving the data mining more information by which they can do this sort of thing. Right, and unfortunately... And, uh, it, but to, to build a business model with this as one of your cornerstones... Campia made a good point. This is the accent. This is the appetizer. This is the, this is the side dish. This is not, this is not right. something that should be the main course in your entire offering of yeah. everything you're going to do. And if that, if that is what they're offering, Collider is done. Collider I, Video is done. I okay. think Collider Video is done no matter what. Because I, well, I think Collider Video is done if they continue along the path that currently that they are on that this... Someone who is apparently as short-sighted in my reading, mm -hmm. in my my impression, someone this short-sighted on what their company needs to be over time is not going to continue to be successful. You make decisions, you change directions, these are things that happen. But there's all kinds of cool new technologies coming along all the time. Remember when 3D VR was going to be a thing? Oh, yeah. And there were a lot of reasons why 3D VR, virtual reality, should be a thing. Betamax was a thing. Well, Betamax, Betamax was a superior product. Betamax had, didn't have good marketing compared to well, VHS. And, and to VHS, my VHS. point, with, you know, whether, whether you have a superior product or not, or a brand new whiz-bang technology that's better than everything out there... How you use it mm -hmm. is the big thing. How you use it, how you market it. And in this day and age when everybody is doing these shows, this type of yeah. show, it goes back to who's on camera. What personalities are on camera. You can have all the latest toys. Mm -hmm. But if the person that all those toys are pointed at is a dullard, you're not going to get an audience. Whereas you get these types of tools that we have here, and you get brilliant punditry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said that with almost a straight face, and then you lost I it, did. and then I, I did. did too. But see, but but you know, we have fortunately. We have regular viewers. We have people that come to and all we have of our a shows. wealth of useless knowledge. And we do, and we do, and that comes from age and experience and wisdom and reading a lot. Reading a reading lot. a lot. Yes, um, something that I wish I could get the seventeen-year-old to understand. Yeah, you know, can but you? that's another story. Um, but 
you know, having having regulars, having people that sit there and say, we really enjoy watching this program or this program. You know, we we enjoy what you say. We enjoy how you say it. Mm. Um, you know, Drunk Three PO is is one of the people he sits there and says, man, your your channel is underrated, well, which is always great. Very kind. We appreciate that. You know, we've got people that are out there that are paying attention to what we're doing, and we're starting our subscription level our subscriber level is starting to tick up we're at 1270 today yeah. i'm i'd love to be at 2000 by the end of the month i don't know if we're going to get there or not but it's not really a numbers driven thing we're right, doing yeah. this thing because we enjoy doing it the numbers are going to be there at some point hopefully because we're good but at what even, we do but even if they weren't there we'd still be talking about this stuff the, the whole reason H2O came about was because we were talking about this stuff yeah. it's like why don't we record this yes. uh, but the, the, the thing that the thing that I think that we need to we need to dear Collider <clears throat> If you are going to end a pro, if you're, if you're going to roll out new programming, I, I, I don't have my keyboard. Dear sir, should you find that you wish to roll out new programming, you want to go in a different direction. Here's a recommendation for you: without burning your own fan base to the ground, you start the new thing you're going to do. You give it a period of time. You allow it to grow. You keep your existing stuff. You maybe sit there and cut back regular. You know, maybe you trim back a show. Maybe you trim back the number of show, number of times a show comes out. You talk about this with your audience. Yeah. You let them know why you're doing it. You basically give them the opportunity to give you feedback on what you're doing. Because right. if you're a business that you want subscribers, and if subscribers are the way you're getting your ad revenue, then yeah. you have to think about the fact that if you change your business model. In a drastic way, like say, I don't know, firing, firing a bunch everybody. of people, stop, stopping a whole bunch of the shows that actually built, you built your model on, you're not actually going to get ad revenue from programs that don't exist anymore. Well, and I think that's that's another thing that makes me think. You know that that's how it works, right? <laughs> Fernandez didn't build this. Yeah, he didn't build this. He inherited it. He bought it, and I think that affects how he looks at it. Because I'm sure it does. It's not of course it does. He, it has to. He's financially invested in it, mm -hmm. but he's not emotionally invested in it the way the way I am with mine, the way Campia is with his. And that's not a requirement for running a company well, by the no, way. No, it's not. But, but it does factor into things. Oh, sure, of when course. You're it, in it always does. Prices. All right, so should I should I tell my the day I got fired story? If you want. It's a it's a doozy. <laughs> All right, so I'm working at a TV station. I won't say when. I won't say where. I won't say when. Um, people might be able to figure out because of the time frame. I was depressed, angry, uh, dealing with a recalcitrant child mm -hmm. who had been turned against me by his mother. I was facing divorce. That was it. Was all of this was going on at the same time. And I had gotten to my Ricky Gervais face. I don't care. I just don't care. Mm -hmm. I don't care. And had made a couple mistakes. Were you as inconsistently funny? I was not funny at all. Because, you know, he's inconsistently funny. Right. And it had made some mistakes at work mm -hmm. that ended up 
costing the TV station some $80,000 in ad revenue that we had to make up because we were running the wrong spots because I had gotten the wrong spots and put them in. Of course, nobody in engineering caught it. Nobody in programming caught it. You know, there are checks and balances for this kind of thing, but in, that's... Not absolving yourself of your own... Not absolving myself of the responsibility. And I, I, I did. I, I screwed up. I, and I, I owned up to it. You know, and they said, hey, we're running the wrong spot. I was like, oh, crap. You know, I, one time I caught it. I was like, oh, this is the wrong spot. Okay. But it ended up costing a lot of money. And I got fired. And they were completely justified in doing that. That's firing for cause, folks. If they had fired me just because they don't like how I cut my hair, mm. or, you know, I'm not getting along well, if I'm not getting along with a salesperson, that could that could be cause too. But you know, they don't they don't like they don't like the cut of my jib, as it were. They That's do, not enough. They they do they do not like it when you lose them some money. No. <laughs> oh, there were some conversations yeah. that day. Uh, so anyway, um, convers- speaking of conversations, we're going to throw our email address up. Something that I've noticed that Rob Burdett does. He reads viewer email mm-hmm. in his live stream. I think he's on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So if you would like to send us an email and we could do we could do viewer sure. mail. More than in happy here. to so H two O at sci fi for me dot com is that uh is that address there. And uh maybe we'll start doing that as a segment here on the show. And sure. uh we'll see what happens. And for those of you who may be finding this video in the aftermath of Collider's Collapse. And if you need to get a Jedi Council fix, there's an opportunity here. I'm going to tell you about our show, The mm-hmm. Ranker Pit, which is uh, our Star Wars discussion show. And it is on Friday nights at 8 o'clock live. It's a live discussion. Um, sometimes we have guests, sometimes we don't. Tom Kane was on here not too long ago. Right. We were yeah. talking to other people about coming on as a guest. And that's, uh, that's a show that right now we're kind of doing weekly. We're kind of playing with the schedule until things doing settle a, out. Doing a weekly schedule is a challenge a lot of times. It's, it's yeah. tough to get people schedules to all line up. And then we have uh, Wednesday night the Doctor Who discussion show. Let's see if I can push this button here. Uh, Which we just it. recorded the new episode last night. Alright, so hold on. Let me... There it is. Tardisauce which is the discussion show that Tim does with the guys from the Traveling the Vortex podcast. Mm-hmm. And we have a new... And uh, uh, Macy Branch who came on. This is her third episode she recorded with us. Uh, spoiler alert for this week. You actually get to hear us be critical in a, in a not, not, we're always critical. We're always, we always function as, we're not, uh-huh. we, we're fans, we're not fanboys. Right? I've seen a lot of negative comments there online this particular, about this episode. This, for a number of reasons, this particular, this particular episode has had a lot of issues with it. And uh, have you seen the shenanigans going on on Rotten Tomatoes with all of this? I have not. I, I'll be perfectly honest. I send you a link. Uh, 
Look, what? Okay, so uh, it, uh, it's, in, it's in Slack. So what's been going on with Doctor Who? And this is completely off topic, but um, the audience score for the new season in January, you know, this is just in the last few weeks, has dipped down to something like 36%. And Rotten Tomatoes, apparently... Uh, and I haven't I haven't dug into this very much. I'm I'm seeing this on a surface level, so I I don't I I may not have all of my facts straight. But Rotten Tomatoes apparently deleted all of the audience reviews. Done, gone, and so now the ones that are back, now it's sitting at something like seven percent. Well, and, so. and and as somebody, if you if you watch if you watch uh, Tardis Sauce, you'll find that we really really enjoyed the first two episodes of the season. It's not perfect. The first two episodes we thought were were very very well done, and I think a really good direction for the show and some interesting stuff that they're doing in terms of story. This second episode, this third episode, um, again we we go into it in quite a bit of detail. We break it all down for you there. But the short version is that it was written poorly. Mm. Um, and it may have been. Uh, let me say, it appears to have been written poorly. It was certainly edited poorly, um, and a lo- some interesting ideas, uh, but it was too busy. Yeah. And then you get to something which could have been a really, really powerful, uh, could have been a really powerful message. And sometimes shows having a message is fine. The problem is, is that if you if you're going to do that. You gotta write the speech well. Oh yeah, and it doesn't matter how good the, the talent is, because when you know, Jodie Jodie Whittaker is an incredibly talented actress, she is extremely. Gotta give her something. But good if you to can't do. give her, if she can, she can, she'll read the words. She'll act. The, she'll act the part. She'll give you everything she's got. But if you give someone a clunker of a speech, it's a clunker of a speech. Yeah, it doesn't matter who does. And it and we didn't go in, we didn't go into this on the show because I didn't think about it. Five words. You could have you could have fixed that with five <laughs> words, and but that's a whole different thing. But anyway, anyway, right, so we're, that's that's Wednesday night. Yeah. And, and those of you who who are are fans of Collider, if you're into you know the discussion programs, we mm-hmm. have a number of those. So yeah. we've got you know tartar sauce, we've got uh, uh, Riker Pit, and we're in the process of developing one that's centered around Star Trek. So we're not ready to announce that yet, exactly what it's going to be. We do have like. a show about Star Trek. We do have a show about Star Trek. It's called Triple Bites. And let's see if I can uh, call up the... Um, there. Yeah, there it is. Uh, that button there, Triple Bites. Uh, a new episode of that show next Tuesday night. And so that's going to be... Uh, that's the news program for Star Trek and Orville News. Um, and then... We're here every Monday night talking about random the things. things. So all the things. Yeah, and I think we've talked this one out. We have. Um, but those of you who are, you know, if if you're fans of Collider, if you're fighting us, uh, you know, you're more than welcome to stick around. We hope that you enjoy the things that we do here. Um, you know, if you're just finding the channel, consider giving us a subscription and hit the notification sure. bell because we're uploading content throughout the week every week and uh we do enjoy having everybody here and and uh we appreciate you being a part of our audience we hope you like what you see so um so that's going to do it for us thanks very much for joining us tonight 
And we will be back here for another H2O podcast in one week's time. Yeah. Thanks, folks. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.